0: Amen, amen, amen. Hey, you guys can be seated. I I just want to first say, if you're here for the first time, know that we're glad you're here. From the bottom of my heart, we've been working hard for this day. We wanted to make sure, we had a few things we were working on. Uh, We wanted to make sure you could actually find us, right? So you kind of had to take a few few turns to get here, so we got some signs up. That's been fun. Um, We're just super glad you're here. Actually, if this is your first time here with us, we actually have a gift for you, so make sure you uh, get it on the way out. Um, it, it's, my, it's my oldest daughter's birthday today, so just consider it a party favor, okay? Um, but, but really, I mean, if you've dropped your kids off today, know this. Know that we have taken extra care, extra special care to know that they're safe, it's organized, they're having fun, and most importantly, learn something and learn something about who Christ is. We, we strongly believe that our, our workers are not just babysitters. They are investing in the next generation. We, we just know that your kids are cared for. Uh, our, our goal here at New City Church is to make sure that our kids are having a better experience than we do. Okay, That's what we want. We want to make sure that your kids are, are able to worship Jesus. We, we take great care in what your kids are doing. So know that we're, we're thankful for you and that we're glad you came here today. So this sermon is going to be a little different than normal. Okay, So just bear with me. Um, I'm going to start telling you a little bit about our church, and then I'm going to introduce our sermon series, and then I'm going to actually introduce the sermon. Okay, so it might take about 15 minutes, so hang with me, um, but we're going to gonna get there, okay? So over the past several months, 40 adults and 20 kids have, started, have moved from North Carolina to Tampa Bay and are continuing to move. Um, we've sold houses, we've left jobs, friends, family, left what's comfortable, not just to start this church, but because our lives have been radically changed by a message, okay? Because our lives have been changed by one message simple truth. The truth that fuels us, that fuels everything we do, it fuels the vision for New City Church. It's a radical truth, but it's also deeply personal. It's a very personal truth. People that have believed this truth, they found great freedom. They found love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. People who believe this message, by no means are, are we perfect, are they perfect, but actually we, ra- we recognize that we're radically imperfect. Okay? We recognize that our lives are broken and there's something wrong with the world. We don't believe that we're a faultless people, but we, believe in a, we, but we believe in a faultless person. Okay, This truth, this message is centered around one man, and his name is Jesus. And here at New City Church, we make everything about Jesus. Everything. This truth that we talk about, here at New City, we call this truth the gospel. The gospel is centered around Jesus, and it literally means good news. I will dive in, I'm going to dive into more detail in a minute about what this, what this good news is, but in short, the message of the gospel says I can't, but Jesus can. It, or you can say it this way. The gospel is not what we do. It's all about what Jesus has done. It's not what we do. It's all about what Jesus has done. People ask us all the time, what type of church is New City Church? And we would say we are a gospel-centered church. church everything we do is centered around the message of Jesus. It's centered around the message of the gospel. We believe, we believe this truth is both Needed globally and personally, it's the truth that millions of people have given their life for over thousands of years. The truth that historians can confirm, and it's a truth that scientists cannot faithfully disprove. In fact, it's a radically logical truth. To be honest, I could talk to you for days about the logical nature of this one truth. But I believe the greatest evidence of this truth is not the logic; it's the evidence of a changed life. It's the evidence of this a changed life not just in a single culture either it has crossed multiple cultures across the entire continent languages and cultures and nations have been changed by this truth it's both the nature of our truth is both global and personal because of that the mission of new city church is both global and personal we're passionate about getting the message of gospel to the ends of the earth to the entire world we're going to do whatever it takes but we also believe that it's deeply personal We believe that hearing the gospel is not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time event. We don't graduate from the gospel because we need it every day. We need this message every day. The message is life-transforming. It transforms our entire life. The message gives hope for eternity, for after we die, but it also gives hope for today. Right now, it gives us hope. We believe that the gospel is for us and for others. Therefore, our mission is... Is for us and for others here's our simple mission statement for New city church New city church exists to see Jesus change lives and to reach the world I want to come out and be upfront and honest with you it's not uh, we don't think we have some special mission from God um, to be honest it's just what God says in the Bible we have taken what God's mission is and we have made it the mission for new city church we' taken we've made it this is just who we are that's us the the, the gospel is our DNA this is Uh, the DNA that drives us. So if you're here for the first time today, you've come in a good time. I said we're starting a a sermon series today in 2 Timothy. And over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about this mission. We're going to talk about God's mission and how it's both global and personal. The, The question that we have to ask over the next several weeks is this. How do we carry out God's mission? God has given us a mission, but he's also given us a method for the mission. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with, sec- turn with me to Second Timothy. And while you're turning there, I'm going to read the first two verses uh, to help set up our series, really. Um, we're going to spend most of our time in verses 3 to 7. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to be up on the, sc- on the screens here. Uh, so go ahead and follow along with me. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So a few things to point out here about 2 Timothy. It's a letter written uh, by a guy named Paul to a a younger guy named Timothy. Timothy, he was young, he was timid, he lacked confidence, he was often fearful. It's widely believed that Paul actually wrote this letter uh, when he was in prison waiting to be persecuted, waiting to be killed for his faith. And so while, Timothy, while, while Paul was waiting, while he was waiting, to write this, he writes this letter to Timothy to encourage him, to encourage Timothy, to give him confidence and boldness in Timothy, to Timothy. In verse 2, Paul, Paul called him, he says, you're my beloved child. Now, he's not actually really his child. It just shows uh, the, the personal nature and closeness of their relationship. So Paul and Timothy, they were very close. This, this letter, it's a deeply personal letter from a mentor to a mentee. This would be like, this would be like LeBron James coming up to a young rookie, okay? Uh, and he's like, hey, hey, bro, keep your head up. You're my guy, okay? You're my guy. Hey, you're really strong to the right, but you kind of need to work on your left a little bit, okay? Keep shooting. Keep working at it. You're going to be a great player. Keep up the good work. Right, Paul is coaching Timothy in this letter. He's encouraging him to keep laboring. It's a letter from a mentor to a mentee. But it's also a letter that is centered around this one truth, the gospel. It's that one important truth. About, about 10 or 12 years ago in my life, I, I heard this clip of a sermon. Um, and it, it has made a lasting impact on my life. It's, it's stuck with me. It encouraged me. And honestly, our church is built around this same kind of idea. It's up on the screen, so you can follow along with me. I'm going to read it. Uh, This is this little clip. This is what the pastor said. You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. But you do have to know a few great things that matter, perhaps just one, And and then be willing to live for them and die for them. The people that make a durable difference in the world are not the people who have mastered many things, but who have been mastered by one great thing. If you want your life to count, you don't have to have a high IQ, you don't have to have good looks or riches or come from a fine family or a fine school. Instead, you have to know a few great things, majestic, unchanging, obvious, simple, glorious things, or one great, all-embracing thing and be set on fire by them. Paul believed this. Paul was set on fire by one thing. Paul was willing to die for one thing. Paul made a durable difference in the world because he was mastered by one thing. Paul said that he was driven, as it says in verse 2. It says, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's life was centered around Jesus. He found life in this guy named Jesus. Paul knew one simple message, he knew one simple truth that he lived by, and it drove, it drove this entire love letter, and it was this. This is that great truth. God created each of us to know him, to be with him, to reflect his very nature, and we were with him, we find peace and joy and gladness. It's the way things were meant to be. Every single one of us, however, we were born with a problem, and we call that problem Sin. Now, sin, it's like a disease. We all have it, and we can't get away from it. And it results in things that we can see, often see and experience in the world. And we all look at the world, we know it's not the way it ought to be. Just look at the news, right? Or just look at our relationships around us. They're broken. Broken friendships, broken family strife, broken marriages. Just think about the way that we often can speak to each other. Or just... Just think about what's going on inside of our own hearts and our own, our own minds. Think, things like hate and greed and jealousy and, and not being satisfied, always wanting more. Whatever it is, sin man itself in, in itself in many, many ways. We all have it. And we all know, every single one of us in this room, we all know that something in this world is not right. But there's another problem. The God that created us He's told us, he says, the wages of this sin, this problem that we have, the wages of sin is death. Our sin, it deserves a penalty. Our sin deserves death. Ultimately, our sin eternally separates us from God. The relationship that we're supposed to have, our sin, it comes in and it separates us. The way in which we were created to live, it got messed up. Our lives are broken by our sin. The peace that we were created to have, it's gone. I'm sure that at some point in your life, you've noticed that maybe peace is not there. There's another problem. There's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. Nothing. We've got this major problem, and there's nothing that we can do about it. We try, we we strive, the whole world tries and strives to get back to God. But we can't. They can't. It's never good enough because God expects perfection. God is a holy God that expects complete perfection because He is without sin. We keep sinning and we keep messing up. Have you ever felt that way? Like, Like you're not good enough. Like everything around you is collapsing. Or maybe you realize that something in your life is missing. Something just is not right. Maybe you feel like dirty or guilty or afraid. Or maybe you don't feel that way, but you, you look at the world and you realize that something in this world is not right. And I've, but, but I've got really good news for you. This is the gospel. God sent his son, Jesus, into the world. The guy that we talk about all the time here. He lived the life that you and I could not live. He died the death that we deserve, and he went to the cross. Because remember, the wages of sin is death. But Jesus died the death that we deserve. Jesus took our punishment. That's it. Jesus went in our place. This is beautiful, right? Jesus lived a life without sin, was with God, everything was perfect with God, had everything that we were created for to know God, to be with God, and he gave all of it up at the cross. He gave it up for us. He gave it up for you, he gave it up for me. And listen, when we believe in Jesus and we trust Jesus, this is great news. We get what Jesus had. We get to know God. We get to be with God. Our relationship with God that was messed up can now be restored. This is the great exchange. This is the gospel. We couldn't do it, but Jesus did it. What we do will not get us back to God. No good deeds not doing more right than wrong, we can only get back to God by trusting in what Jesus has done. I'm going to say it again. The gospel is not what we do. The gospel is what Jesus has done. That's it. That's the great truth that we live by. If you have not believed this, believe it. Today, your life and eternity depend on it. This is good news. This is the great news that Paul... Gave up his entire life for. That's the truth that Paul, want, that Paul wants to make sure gets passed on. The truth that is central to the entire letter of 2 Timothy. But there's something from this letter that we must learn and recognize. God has given us this message to pass on. And he's given us good news to proclaim. If that news is so good, if it's so life-changing... If God's mission is to get this great truth all over the world, then what's his method? Paul in 2 Timothy, he shows us the method. His method is multiplication. It's multiplication. That's why we've named this series Multiply. We all know that it's much easier to get to a bigger number through multiplication rather than addition. If we seek to see the gospel we'll get to the ends of the earth, if we seek to see the gospel we'll get to the 3.1 million people, in Tampa Bay, we, if, we, if we're trying to reach the 50,000 college students at USF, effectively reaching our neighborhoods and our workplace, we must multiply. Addition will not work. We have to pass on the gospel. Listen, if someone shares the truth of the gospel with you and you don't pass it on to anyone else, that's addition, that's not multiplication. In order for the gospel to multiply, we have to continue to pass on the gospel. The gospel, listen, it can't stop with you. The gospel has to be passed through you. One of the things that we, we're going to see today and over the next several weeks is that this message, it's not just a message, but it's also a movement, right? It's, it's a movement centered around a message. There have been a lot of different types of movements, right? the civil rights movement or the women's right to vote movement. Um, something interesting about movements is there's not a unified definition for a movement. Uh, No one really knows what constitutes the movement, but people know that there's a few elements of a movement. It's generally a group of people centered around an idea, and it moves, right? It moves. The gospel is found through a group of people. It's a message, and it was made to move. With that said, here's our big idea for today. The gospel is a movement, and movements move. When I was thinking specifically about verses 3 to 7 in chapter 1, uh, in conjunction with this series, this multiply series, the idea of just kind of passing something on, uh, you know, I was thinking about some of the things that we can often inherit, right? Many of us have had things that have been passed down to us, either through a family member or a friend or someone who's, who's, you know, a neighbor that maybe have left, you inherited some of the things. Now, my family, we've been blessed over the past several years to inherit a few things, um, things like China. I got a few guns from my grandfather from the early 1900s. I thought was pretty cool. Um, a lot of random stuff. We have gotten a lot of furniture. When I say a bunch of furniture, it's like half of our house is inherited furniture, which is great. You know, my desk that, that I work at—it's over 100 years old. Uh, it's actually my—it's uh, actually my great grandmother's kitchen table. I use it as a desk. But you know, in our bedroom, nothing matches. It's all mixed match furniture from different grandparents from different generations. Um, all of our kids last year, they inherited a dresser, each one of them. Uh, you know, praise the Lord, uh, apparently Walmart dressers don't last very long in our house. Uh, but one, one of, the, one of the dressers that we inherited, inside of the drawer of the dresser from my grandparents, there were three stuffed ferrets. They were all tied together. Uh, my, my grandfather, he didn't know what it was. Um, he just said, just, just keep it, you know. So when we got home, I kind of made a big deal about it with my kids, um, kept the kept the ferrets in the dresser, uh, started shaking the dresser, you know, making a big deal about it. I said, hey, I think there's some rats in the dresser. And just started shaking it, you know. I'm not kidding. This is not an exaggeration. For about two weeks, my kids would not go in the same room as that dresser because they saw, when they saw those ferrets come out, they freaked out. This was very devastating to them. Since then, you know, kind of warmed up to these ferrets. Um, they can become like stuffed animals. They play with them all the time now. You know, it's they get left outside in the rain. Uh, they've weathered some glue in one of the mouths. They, they glue the mouth together so it like, it's come undone, so the, the ferret just kind of drops his mouth like, you know, it's um, <laughs> one of the strings that hold it together. It's, it's broke, and so there's two ferrets together, and then there's one all by itself. And this week when I was thinking about this concept of an inheritance, something being passed on. I went back to this conversation that I had with my grandmother a couple of years ago. We were in the hospital. Um, it was, right before she, she was she, right before she died. She wanted me to speak at her funeral. And she had just taken a steroid shot, so she was extra chipper and chatty. She started planning her funeral right there in the hospital with me. Um, she started, I started taking notes. It was actually a really special time. She, st- she started saying random things, who kind of gets what, I took notes on all of it. what we could find, we actually passed on. And this week, when I was looking back, thinking about this idea of inheritance, I went back to my notes from a couple years ago, and I noticed something. My notes said, Baby McKinney, which is my sister's daughter, Baby McKinney gets her great-great-grandmother's very nice mink stole. And I googled this week, mink stole. And it was a a picture of three ferrets tied together. Right. Let's just say, I'm not sure this mink stole is going to get passed on to the next generation. There's a good chance it's not going to make it. But here's the idea. Right? We pass on things that we value. If the person receiving it, if they don't value it, it's not going to get passed on. But if we value it, we'll pass it on. In order for the gospel to continue to be passed on, it must be shared and valued by both the giver and the receiver so if the gospel is shared but not valued it stops with the one receiving the gift the gospel is both shared and valued it will continue to be passed on so my baby mckinney she's got to continue to value these three rats you know so the question we need to answer today and over the next several weeks is how is the gospel to be valued if you're with us for the first time i hope you'll give us a few weeks how about a four-week challenge because I want you to see how valuable this gospel really is. We, we believe that it could be life-changing for you. With that said, I'm going I'm to read through these five verses, verses 3 to 7. In our passage specifically for today, we're going to see three values that keep the gospel moving. The, if, if the gospel is a movement and movements move, three values that keep the gospel moving. Here they are. Prayer fuels the movement. Remembering strengthens the movement and the Spirit of God ignites the movement. So prayer fuels, remembering strengthens, and the Spirit of God ignites. These are all values, all things that keep the movement of the gospel moving. And we're going to go through these pretty quickly, and we're going to point out a few little things along the way, um, but they're all tied to this same idea of values that keep the gospel moving. So with that said, let's read verses 3 to 7. This is what it says. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure it dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Look back at verse 3. I'll read it again. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. So Paul is expressing thankfulness to Timothy. He tells him he thanks God for him. But, he, but something I want, to think, I want to emphasize here uh, is when he expresses thankfulness for him. He says, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Paul has a rhythm of thanking God for Timothy in his prayer life. When he prays, he says he prays for him constantly. He prays for him night and day. And this brings us to our first point. Prayer fuels the movement. What keeps the gospel movement, the movement of the gospel moving? Prayer. Without a doubt, prayer fuels the movement of the gospel. So, we've, me and my wife, we've spent a good amount of time serving interla- internationally. And I've heard this, I've heard this multiple times uh, from multiple different missionaries. Whenever there is a group, a specific group of people is praying for a specific group of another group of people, intentionally and prayerfully, targeted prayers for a group of people, almost every single time God moves. Almost every time. Either people in that area where they're praying for, T- having targeted prayers people come to faith or people become to be, start to become interested in the gospel these are places where the gospel has never been proclaimed and god opens doors for the gospel to move if we if we want to see the gospel move we must be a people that are begging god in prayer. we must because there's doubt about it no doubt about it prayer fuels the mission of god it fuels the advancement of the gospel but there's something I want to point out about this passage, because when we, re, when, when we need to remember that Paul is praying for Timothy, he prays for him night and day. Paul was expressing thankfulness for Timothy, but Timothy was already a Christian. Paul knew that for the movement of the gospel to continue to move, it was going to continue with Timothy, because Paul was locked up in jail and he was about to die. His time was soon about to be over, but the gospel was not going to stop moving because Paul invested in Timothy, and Paul prayed for Timothy. He prayed regularly for Timothy. He gave time to Timothy because Paul knew that if Timothy valued the gospel, the gospel would continue to move. What we need to ask ourselves is, who are we praying for regularly that will work to continue to advance the gospel? we need to pray for people who are not Christians, but also people who are. That we would all be effective in our weekly community groups, in our weekly group time. We spend time praying for one another. It's a very intentional, targeted time. We ask three simple questions. How can I pray for you? How can you grow spiritually? And who are two or three people in your life that do not know Christ? And we ask these questions intentionally. We all need prayer. We all need to grow. And the gospel needs to move. And I strongly believe this. This blocked out, this weekly time that we spend in prayer together as a family of God, this is one of the most important times that we have together as a family, as a church. We have intentionally carved out time to pray for one another every week, and I want to encourage each of you. Be in regular prayer for the people that are in your group. These are the people that God has placed in your life. Let's continually thank God for them. Listen, whether you know it or not, they're a blessing in your life, each one of them. Let's look at verses four to six. I'm going to read it again, but when we read it, I want to, I want you to notice something. Um, there's a few words that he he says. He says, "Remember and reminded. Remember and reminded." Look at look at verses four to six. Paul says, "As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. As I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This brings us to our second point. Remembering strengthens the movement. One of the themes throughout the entire Bible is that we are a forgetful people. We're forgetful people. Time and time again, God shows up, he does something amazing, and then we forget. It happens over and over and over again in the Bible, and Paul knew this. Paul is fighting to remember, and he's fighting to get Timothy to remember as well. And these, there's, there's three things that he points out to Timothy to remember. First, he says, Remem- I remember your tears. He says, I long to see you. He's essentially saying, remember that you're valued. Remember that you're valued. Know that you're loved. Timothy, know that I have not forgotten you. Know that I continually think about you. There is something radically invaluable about knowing that you're valued. Knowing that you're valued, both by God and by others. It empowers us. It encourages us. May, may we be a people that remind each other that we're valued, that they're valued, because people matter, because relationships matter. This is one of our core values. New City Church wants to, seeks to be a people that values authentic relationships. Know this, if you're here, we value you. You matter to us. Look at the next thing that he reminds Timothy of. He reminds of Timothy's faith and his family's faith. Look at verse 5 again. Paul says, I, rem- I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. We can say it this way. Remember your spiritual heritage. Remember your spiritual heritage. Don't forget what God has done in your life the gospel to you, either through a family or a friend. If you're a Christian here today, whether God, whatever God did in your life to get the gospel to you, don't forget it. Don't forget it. Be reminded. It helps you to be reminded of the value of the gospel. But What I love about this verse is it's an incredible testimony of the gospel being passed on from generation to generation, but specifically in the family. We can inherit and pass on a lot of things through family. But I believe this, Paul believed this, the greatest thing that we can pass on and inherit is the gospel. It's the greatest thing. Timothy's grandmother Lois valued the gospel. She passed it on to her daughter Eunice. Eunice valued the gospel. She passed it on to her son Timothy. And we now know that Timothy also valued the gospel, and Timothy passed on the gospel. There are a ton of things that I could point out here, but... We can see that the gospel didn't stop with Lois, but it passed through Lois. It was passed through Lois and Eunice, but the gospel proved to be a movement that that continued to move. But the one thing that I want to emphasize here is the importance of godly grandmothers and godly moms and dads. If you have a mom or a dad that loves Jesus, praise the Lord. What a gift in your life. Thank, Thank them. Thank God for them. And, and I get that a lot of people in here haven't had this as an example, but be encouraged. Because you have the opportunity to pass on a heritage of faith. Or you can have that opportunity if you have kids. What an honor. And this is important for us here at New City Church. We want to have an awesome kids' ministry, but to be honest, an awesome program, an awesome kids' program, it, that's not going to make missionaries and church planners and disciple makers. It'll help, certainly will. But without a doubt, we strongly believe that the greatest influence a kid has on their life is from their parents. We get 1 hour a week with your kids. You get 168. So how does New City Church invest in advancing the gospel to the next generation? We prioritize advan- investing in parents. If we if you have kids, we believe that investing is in you is by far one of the single greatest investments we can have on the next generation. So how do we invest in parents? Through our small groups. We believe that God-fearing parents will pass on the gospel to the next generation. The greatest thing you can do for your kids is for them to see that you value the gospel, that you want to worship Jesus, that you want to be in God's word, and that you value, you value God, you value the gospel. And I'll say this and, and we'll move on. Being a mom or a dad, it can often feel thankless. Tiring, can feel like slow progress at times. And we often wonder if uh, they're catching on. But know this you have been entrusted with one of the greatest gifts that God has given you outside of the gospel. The greatest gifts that God has given you outside of the gospel is in your kids or or in your spouse, but specifically here for your kids. Without a doubt, mom and dad, you're in the trenches for gospel advancement. Spur on, be encouraged. You are doing invaluable kingdom work. Let's look at our third reminder in verse 6. It says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul reminds Timothy to remember the gift that God has given you. And just to comment, we don't really know what this specific gift is. Some have said that it's, maybe it's evangelism or maybe it's like pastoral leadership uh, and honestly, I don't think it really matters. If if, he, if it mattered, he would told, he would have told us exactly what it is. Um, what I think is more important is that we take to heart the things that surround it, because each person, each Christian, has a unique God given gift. Now this is a, this is a big idea. We're not gonna we can't we don't have a lot of time to go into it in depth. But but know this: if you have trusted in Christ, if you're in Christ, God has given each of you a gift. And it's a gift that God has given you to help build up the church. To build up the people in the church. And our gifts, they're they're given by God and they're affirmed and built up in the church. And we see that here. See, Paul knew Timothy. Paul affirmed Timothy's gifting. And, And Paul told Timothy, he said, fan into flame his gift. Like He's saying, work at it. Work at the gift that God has given you. Grow in the gift that God has given you. Again, we believe the best way to grow and to be affirmed in the gift that God has specifically given each and every single one of you is to be in a group. In a group, that's where you can be fully known and have room to talk and to grow. If people, if people have the gift of hospitality, we give you that opportunity in a group. If people have teaching gifts, that's worked out and that's discovered in groups. If you have the gift of evangelism or mercy or faith or discernment, Almost every single one of the gifts that the Bible speaks of, almost all uh, all of these gifts can be discovered and found and grown in a group. This is why we say one of the most important things that we do are groups. What we do during the week is more important than what we do on the weekend. We really believe that. Groups are massively important to the life of New City Church. Groups are a unique way to remember and be reminded of this entire second point. To remember our value, to remember our spiritual heritage, and to remember our gifts. Let's keep. Let's keep. Looking, let's keep going and look at verse seven. Paul said to Timothy in verse seven, he said, "For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control." This brings us to our last point: the spirit of God ignites the movement. Let me remind you of something about Timothy. Okay, he was timid. He was. Young, relatively young, Um, and some have said that he appeared to be physically weak. So he wasn't like a strapping young man, you know, wasn't really a a real big, strong guy. In fact, Paul was was known to be kind of the same way. Paul himself, this is not from anyone else. Paul himself said that he was ugly. Uh, He had eye trouble. Uh, He he was nearly blind. Okay, he couldn't speak well. That's from Paul. This is what Paul said of himself. He wasn't. He didn't have a lot of confidence in who he was. But it's okay. That's what he said. Other historians have described. Paul as short, bald, and long-nosed. Okay? So, God decided to, we, to use weak, young, timid Timothy and ugly, blind, mumbling Paul to be a key piece in advancing the gospel. Huh. Why? Because God delights in using ordinary people to demonstrate God's extraordinary power. I love this. God doesn't look at our appearance. God doesn't look at our natural ability. He doesn't look at our Enneagram number. He doesn't look at our Myers-Briggs personality type. God looks at us and says, the power of the God of the universe is dwelling inside of you, and he wants to use you. He's basically telling, I'm going to use you in spite of you to demonstrate my power. If you're not a Christian here today, this should at least intrigue you. What we're saying here is that it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter your heritage. Because God can use you and God wants to use you for something that, is literally, that literally impacts all of eternity. All it takes is a step of faith. Get this. The guy that wrote this letter that we're, we're talking about, before he became a Christian, he killed Christians. Paul, that's what he did. He killed Christians before he became a Christian. How crazy is that? a guy who killed people for following Jesus, he met this guy named Jesus, and the power of God worked in his life through the Spirit of God, and Paul is now widely known to be considered one of the most influential people in Christian in history. I mean, this guy, he wrote like half of the New Testament. People for thousands of years have been guided by what he wrote. The, according to the he said about Jesus, this should at least intrigue you. I want to read these verses again, okay? Because this verse, verse 7, it's a hinge point between what we're talking about this week and next week. Paul says, he says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And this this should be so encouraging to us. The one thing he reminds him not to do is to be fearful. What will hinder gospel advancement? What devalues the gospel? What will hinder the gospel to be uh, multiplied and passed on? Fear. Fear. My hope and prayer is that we would take this to heart. Because fear is not from the Lord. Listen to this verse. Listen again. God gave us not a spirit of, what? Fear, but of power and love and self-control. Did you get this? I can't wait for next week. I really can't. Like, God God has given you power and love and self-control. I'll say it again. God has given you power and love and self-control. He's given it to you. He's given us everything we need for seeing the gospel advance, to see it valued and passed on. God has put something inside of you that squelches out fear. It it crushes it. It crushes fear. and gives us boldness and the ability to, to, to love those that are hard to love and to show them the love of Christ. And we're going to get into this next week, but next week we're going to see how God gives us great courage. Courage. But this week I want us to see it comes from the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God ignites the movement of the gospel. Prayer fuels the movement. Remembering strengthens the movement, but the Spirit of God ignites the movement. Now I have a confession, Okay. I'm a bit of a pyro. I love a good fire. I just love it. It's a little hot now here in Tampa, Florida for fires. But at some point, I'm going to start building fires, okay? If there's anything I know about building a really awesome fire is that I can put the best wood on a fire pit to make a strong fire. I can have the best fuel for a fire. But one thing I've learned, unfortunately, the hard way is that if you don't have a match, you're not building a fire, Right? You have to have something to start the fire. Listen, we can plan, we can organize, we can strategize, we can have great systems, but at the end of the day, we need the Spirit of God to move. There is no movement of God without igniting the movement. Let's pray to see radical life change. Let's pray that the gospel will get to the ends of the earth, and we must remember it is not up to us. Movements don't happen through the strength of man. Movements happen through the power of the gospel. And I want to close with this. If you're here today and you would not consider yourself a Christian, my first hope for you is that you would believe in the gospel. Believe that Jesus has done everything necessary to save you when he was put on the cross. But if you're not ready to jump in and believe, I hope that you would at least be intrigued by what we've talked about. Maybe you give us four weeks. Give us four weeks so that you would see the true value of this gospel. But if you're here today and you are a Christian, my hope and prayer for you is that you would jump into the mission of God, that we would see the gospel move, that we would be people that are advancing the gospel. Give us four weeks to help us see how we truly value the gospel, how you can truly value the gospel, because we believe that God wants to use you or far more to do far more than you could ever ask or imagine do you believe that do you believe that god wants to use you to do far more than you could ever ask or imagine i do because we believe that the gospel changes everything let's pray father we we are praying that you would advance the message of the gospel that we would be a people that are overwhelmed by what uh, you have done for us in Christ, that our life would be radically changed every single day by what you have done for us in Christ. Father, we are centered, our lives are centered around a man, not by what we have, what, not by what we do, but what, what Jesus has done. Father, we pray that we would hold to that, that we would hold firm to that, and that we would trust it greatly. Right. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.